the look and shape of your body can tell you something about your overall health, but not everything about your overall health. Bringing you a reasoned approach to health and fitness. This is the Phi Life Podcast. Welcome to the first episode of the Phi Life Podcast. I'm John Barbin. With me is Brad Pilon. Uh, this is brought to you by the Total T Clinic. And I guess we're just going to go right back to the start, like yeah. where we got our start and how we arrived here. I guess as good a spot as any. So we've been like self-experimenting in diet and fitness since college, like maybe high yeah, school. Uh, yeah, well, high school, actually. High school. And yeah, back when and it wasn't cool to train. So it was it was unique yeah. just, just to be guys who worked out back then, not to date ourselves too much. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember being 150 pounds thinking this is not good enough. Like everybody was seemed to be bigger than me. So I immediately started lifting weights. And then from there, um, experimentation took place. I remember I couldn't, I didn't, I was too naive to realize half the guys in my high school are on steroids. I just didn't know why everyone else was way bigger and way stronger than me. And now looking back, it's totally not natural for a high school senior to bench press 400 pounds. Like that's just... No, not I mean, normal, your, your right? school was known for it, but yeah, that's where all, that's where all the drugs came from in, in our yeah. city it was from our, I didn't know that until I met you and you're like, yeah, that's where all the drugs came from. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, it makes way more sense now, but, and I'm not talking about a 300 pound person bench pressing 400 pounds. I'm talking about maybe a 200 pound person, which is yeah, kind of indicative of something else going on. Especially uh, so in like I, the early nineties, right? Like it's different now. But yeah. Back then. So. You know, with that said, it makes me think my very first exposure to diet, fitness, or exercise, my reference point was a bunch of people on steroids. That that was what I thought, like, your results are supposed to look like, and that's the speed it's supposed to happen. And so when I started working out, I was 150 pounds when I started halfway through high school, and I think I ended high school at 170-something. And yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Everyone around me was like 200 plus and they were huge. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Am I like, am I the only one who's not getting this right? Afterwards, I realized I was the only one not using steroids. Um, so they'll do it. Yeah. So fast forward to college. That's when I started dabbling with steroids. That's Dab when you dabbling, dabbling. <laughs> oh, shut up. Yeah. Compared to what other people were doing, I would call what I did dabbling. But that's when we right. met. And so that's the first real hardcore experimentation other than like supplements and stuff like that. And right. I, I remember, like, I remember get, I remember the first thing I took was D ball or at least what I thought was D ball. Now looking back, I have no idea if I even took any, you can't validate what, if it's on the black market, you have no idea what you're actually taking. So I just, yeah. I'm just guessing, I'm just guessing it was, but uh, whatever it was, it was strong as hell. And, and I remember like every cup, every week or two, I'd be up three or four more pounds. And it's not like I was gaining fat. It's not like it was just yeah. around my waist. It was just overall bulk. Kind of like, I think the look I ended up with was like, um, you know, like your average pro wrestler. Yeah. You had a 1990s wrestler look like the rock before he was the rock kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Sort of bulky, not not sloppy fat, but not like visible abdominal muscles, but kind of right. look pretty good in clothes. Like you kind of still have a taper from your shoulders to your waist. And it's not like my waist was tight. It's just everything up here was so much bigger. It still looked like 
somewhat, you know, aesthetically pleasing, I guess. Um, save for the fact that it was just way too much. Uh, but at the time I actually had no idea. Um, I had no idea I was getting that big. Like I for sure had body dysmorphia. Right. And uh, before I go any further, this isn't an endorsement of using steroids. I'm just telling you where I started in my experience and how I sort of arrived. Yeah. yeah he looked good, but his liver arrived. was hurting. You don't want to copy it. Yeah. Well, you know what? At some point, somewhere along the line, and I was, I was terrible at this. I didn't use aromatase inhibitors. I ended up with gynecomastia. I had to have it cut out. I had no idea what I was doing. I, right. and I had no money as a broke college student. So the money I was supposed to be spending on books and food, I was spending on drugs. Like, come on. Um, but, <laughs> but the fascination got me. Like I was like, yeah, everyone yeah, was yeah. bigger than me. And I'm like, this isn't yeah. good enough. I got to get, I got to get bigger. And everyone's gaining so much faster than me. So I didn't. Yeah. And you got to remember that was my experience right out of the gates. It's not like I first saw that in college. My first day in the gym, I was surrounded by people on steroids who were just growing so much quicker than me. So yeah. I, I had this false sense that I'm the only one going slow when in reality, they're right. all just going way too fast. The body dysmorphia I was experiencing, I didn't know I was experiencing. And again, all of this in retrospect makes so much sense. But I remember I peaked out at around 250 pounds and my next goal was 275 pounds because, <laughs> you, right? Wait, 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 John, how tall are you? I'm six foot tall. Yeah. You're not like six, four or anything. Yeah. No, no, no. I can't support 250. I can't support 225, let alone, yeah. let alone 250 at 270. What was I thinking? Not, not much. To me, <laughs> to, yeah, to me, I just wasn't big enough. Like I was like, oh, this is, I'm just sort of moving along, but this isn't the goal. Right. So 275 pounds at six feet tall. What on earth did I think that was going to achieve? Like, that's just absurdly large for no, no good reason at all. And this is pre gram, <laughs> pre Instagram. So there was no reason to be that big. You weren't getting influencers or followers, right? Like the, the gym at our university, it, you know, this is back before universities had really good gyms up in Canada, at least. So there might be 50 people in that gym at any given time. So you weren't impressing anybody. You were just doing it all for you and you're wanting to weigh more. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it was rooted. Well, I know it was rooted in security. I, I didn't, didn't have really any confidence in how I looked before that. Uh, right. The little gains I got in high school, somewhere along the line, started feeling a little better. Like I didn't really get much attention from girls or anybody really in high school. I was a bit of a loner and it only seemed to not be so crappy at the end of high school when I had just the start of a little bit of muscle mass and I right. you know, was on the football team and could actually like play a little bit, but I was way too small to play earlier. Um, it's not like it was any good. I was just like, just getting to be big enough to not get hurt out there, which right. then yeah, I, yeah. then I separated my shoulder and I got hurt. So, but anyways, <laughs> I know, right? Like I should have yeah. just any one hit in that shoulder still 25 years later, still loose. Yeah. Um, but, but so, but the fascination with the growth and the speed of the growth was what got me. And you were, how heavy were you in college? The like, 170, 175. When I started yeah. in high school, I was ridiculously skinny. Um, but after training, just the way I happened to train, I, I got strong. And so mm. I didn't have to get big because I could identify through being strong. Right. And so, right. and when you start really, really skinny and you kind of go into that strong, you, you kind of get that 
athletic physique thing going without actually being an athlete or being able to catch a ball or anything. So yeah, the, uh, yeah, that's watching you try to yeah. Uh, it's not i'm not an athlete everybody knows it but but then the cool thing is and that drove me through university well you guys are trying to get bigger i just always try to get stronger right so that kind of kept me um grounded and you know the funny thing is so this university 2000 to early early 2000s this Mm. is before real internet right so this was back when the general consensus was that steroids would make you bigger but not necessarily stronger obviously mm-hmm. wrong but that mm-hmm. was sort of the the advice we were given so then i was like well i have no reason to do that then right so i just steered clear um because they supposedly didn't help me anywhere towards my goals right and my goal was never like powerlifting strong it was always just gym room strong but it, it served me well so so let's say you and i were out you're 175 pounds i'm 230 something like yeah. that if someone asked me how big do you think you are I'd be like, oh, about Brad's size. But yeah, I never knew how, how big I was until I saw a picture of myself sitting next to a guy we, uh, I was a doorman with, and he was much, much smaller than me, maybe 190 pounds, really good shape, really good muscle, muscle development, um, kind of like you, just a slightly bigger, but, but in really good shape. And I saw a picture of us sitting next to each other, and I literally was twice as big as him in the picture. At that point, I was almost, that was my peak size. And I didn't, it didn't occur to me I was any bigger than him. Again, I thought that's about how big I was. Right, so that's right. when I realized, oh, I, I don't see this at all. Like I can't actually perceive, I can't perceive my size. I fully had body dysmorphia at the time. And so along the way, somewhere, and it's taken a long, long time, but somewhere I, that faded and my fascination with being bigger faded and that's kind of when i just stopped dabbling with steroids i'm like well i don't really need to be any but why am i doing this there's no point in being bigger that didn't end our fascination though with self-experimentation there's a pretty good story here like the overfeed underfeed no there's so So, many good stories but yeah yeah. go ahead so we in the in the in the name of trying to gain muscle we did a little we had a thought what if you overfed over ate a lot of calories in a short period of time while training for muscle gain and then dieted hard shortly thereafter and could you gain let's say you gained 20 total pounds and let's say 10 of that was fat and 10 of that was muscle and then you dieted really hard right after and you stripped the fat off would you would you have fast forwarded a gain of 10 pounds of muscle or thereabouts in the space of like a two-month period the idea was mass overeat for a week or two and then diet it off and if you could actually gain five six seven pounds of muscle in eight eight weeks that's unheard of that's yeah that's like steroid fast so we were wondering can you just do it with the anabolic effect of food so we put this ridiculous plan in. But off, first of all, it didn't work like at all. But no, no, it hurt a lot. It hurt like hell. So on our way to work, we would eat a dozen donuts. We would share them, and by the time we got to work, we'd have already consumed what fifteen hundred calories at least, maybe two thousand. Oh yeah, and then because of our access to supplements, right? That would have been, you know, we would have been fifteen hundred calories and probably 250 grams of protein before the start of the workday 
Yeah. Oh yeah. And a protein shake right, right in the morning. Yeah. And then Don't at read. work at my desk, a bowl of craisins and almonds. Craisins, almonds, and then we turned into craisins, almonds, and chocolate chips when it wasn't doing the trick anymore. Yeah. And that was just constant all day long, grazing on that. Lunch would have been whatever whatever we could fit in, like a, like a serving of lasagna, something ridiculous. No, yeah, like it was something. at an Italian restaurant across the street, yeah, right. and we would just yeah. go over and destroy a lasagna, like not... A single serving, the guy would bring out a pan of lasagna, a tray of it, yeah. and we would eat it. And then as much of it as you can so with a with chicken on the side, just whatever we could. So by the end of lunch, I'd say we were at six or seven thousand calories for the day. Yeah. And so muffins or donuts on the drive home. And then I remember like the goal was to try to eat a pizza. Like when we got yeah. home. Like a whole yeah. one each. And then Yeah, little seeded double then, double. Yeah. Yeah. And we tried that, tried. We actually did that. I think I made it eight days until I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And our our theory, what it, the theory wasn't to do it any much longer. The theory was to no. do it like in a short period of time at this anabolic burst, as it were. Yeah. Training twice see, a day. Was it twice yeah. a day or once a day? But yeah. yeah. Okay. I think it was lunch and after work. Yeah. And then from there, diet off whatever fat we might have gained. Right, and then hopefully within within less than a two month period or roughly a two month period, did we force any actual muscle growth? And the answer was not at no. all. No, it was all fat, and it was super painful to eat that way. It was GI distress all day, every day. Couldn't sleep either. Just sweating all the time. Oh, so Sucked. sweaty. So sweaty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then two months of dieting to get back right back to where we started. Yeah, that's the other thing too, is that it, that was when the lesson became very clear that it's not a one-to-one -one ratio. So a, a week of overfeeding takes like four weeks of dieting to fix, right? Like it, oh, yeah. our, our general idea is like, yeah, we'll overeat for a couple of weeks and undereat for a couple of weeks. And it's like, no, you'll overeat for a week and then undereat for a couple of months, right? To try to get back to where you were. It got to the point, and this is dumb, but like I had to undo the top button of my pants to drive to work. Some people also have access to supplements. We had access to raw ingredients right so it wasn't just testing supplements it was testing concoctions of ingredients that would never ever make it to market because it wouldn't way too expensive to put it all into a bottle but at mm -hmm. the time we were like yeah this might work so let's give it a go um not saying that supplements don't work because i actually a big fan of supplements but it was more the taking them to extreme amounts and extreme doses didn't cause any extreme effects worth mentioning so it was just, yeah, it was self-experimentation. And it was that bro science everybody talks about now only being done back when it, you know, was sort of new. And it wasn't even bro science at the time, which was really awesome, was that it was just science because there was no internet bro kind of thing going on. So if you knew a couple names of amino acids, you, you were smart, right? And so we were just experimenting away. And, and, and we then we got access to supplements and we get access to labs and we got access to people um and then it just sort of it really helped shape very quickly our understanding of health and nutrition you know the journey everybody's going through now online on instagram as you follow them as they try new things and learn new things we did that in a very condensed period of time two decades ago yeah well the moral of the story is you just can't make muscle grow any faster than it's going to grow um in the absence it takes of 70 steroids. days to turn over right like in yeah. 70 yeah. days for the minute so yeah. what do you think you're going to do without drugs is yeah 70 again without, without drugs, every 10 weeks and, yeah. and i think part of the issue was 
we'd all been exposed either directly like using them or indirectly training with people who had used steroids to the speed of muscle gain on steroids. Yeah. So we were always chasing what, what can we do to get even uh, some of that, like some of that speed of growth. We also started training young enough that we trained through puberty right? That kind of mm. ending stage. And so then as a 25, 27, you remember that when you're like, no, but that one summer I did put on like seven pounds and you're like, I yeah, also grew an inch, but let's not, you know, like you forget that part. So you have that basic memory of, um, the pubertal growth spurt combined with some weight training and you grow in mm. height, you could hit peak height velocity, then you hit peak mass velocity. So there's a period mm. of time right after you've grown in height, where it's almost like you're on steroids as, as a, you know, usually peak height, depending on if you're a late bloomer or not, might be 16, 17. Then you have this phase between like 18, 19, 20, where it's just, you're just building mass by being a male, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and you remember, and if you're training, then that has a big effect. And then you remember that and you're trying to always get back to that. And then if you have any experience with steroids or just been around it, then you're, you see that same pubertal muscle growth spurt happening in grown men. And you're like, Hey, there must be something I can do to make that happen. Cause they're doing it. But and you just, nope. and, and nope. there's no way to mimic that speed. I, I no. think you can do a few things to go faster than if you don't try any supplements or don't try any tweaks to your diet, totally. as, you know, a little bit yeah. more protein. Um, certain supplements can help creatine for sure. But, Absolutely. but, all of it was rooted in chasing that speed, that naive growth when you just first start working out, especially yes. the naive growth when you're younger, and then also being exposed to how fast it happens with steroids at any age. And yeah, um, that's it's almost like people who guys. I remember thinking guys who took supplements are guys who just don't have the balls to take steroids. Yeah, you would say that to me weekly. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It was oh, super yeah. nice. You that said was just that. Yeah. I'm like, you can be as big as you want. I mean, I know a guy, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. But the other thing we forget about is um, just the genetic limit, right? And we, we talk about this with a lot of influencers mm -hmm. on Instagram now when they're like, I can't get any bigger. And we're like, no, you can't. That's your, that's it. You are your version of Captain America. You've gotten there. And uh, that's, that's as big as you're getting. Now you can get a bit stronger. You can tweak the shape, but you're not going to go any further it just doesn't go to the point where if you train hard eventually you'll be 500 pounds of muscle right like it it caps out at some point and it has nothing to do with capping mm -hmm. out on your calorie intake or protein intake just literally genetically you'll cap out we've again from the stuff we've done we have a good understanding of how that works and it's combined with like we could take your bone cell mass so just see the actual weight of your skeleton via a dexa and john and i could predict pretty accurately what your max lean mass is going to be and just because we've had so mm. much data from dexes and, and bod pods and, and trainers to kind of come to that number you just are genetically limited by the structure of your body and how much weight it can hold up the scaffolding right let alone genetically muscle lengths and, and that sort of thing so you also have to come to terms with it grows slowly and it only grows to a point all of this was in the pursuit of an aesthetic so uh, uh, yeah. the beginning number of years in our personal journey through this, as well as our professional career, building programs, building supplements, all of that was uh, an aesthetic. Like, can you lose some fat and gain some muscle and arrive at a new different shape? Can you force your body into a new shape 
that it's yeah. that it's hit your genetic limit, I guess. Hit your genetic yeah. potential for the most aesthetic shape your body can maintain. Yeah. And then it's, can you do it faster and can you do it easier? You remember when we first came up with the concept, like, why do people even work out? Oh, we were, we were at Tim Hortons and we were arguing yep. over, cause I still enjoy training for strength. Right. And so my argument was that people go to the gym to get stronger. And your argument was that I'm an idiot and that that's not why people go to the gym. And then I was like, well, if they don't go to the gym to get stronger, what they go for? And yours was like to look better. I'm like, yeah, but look, looking better has no metric. So I can go to the gym and bench 350 pounds, and then a month later, bench 355, and know that I've progressed. I'm like, with the way the mirror lies to you, how could you possibly train to look good and have any form of metric, right? Because weight doesn't tell you to look good or not. And then your mirror can just be a lying ass, depending on the lighting and your mood, et cetera. And that's when we realized, okay, well, there has to be a way to do it. We decided on, um, well, it has to be ratios, right? Because something has to be compared to something else in order to say if it's big or small. And then I don't know which one of us, but then we're like, well, how do you, how would you draw a superhero or how would you sculpt the superhero? And then we looked into that and there's literally books on how to draw superheroes and how to sculpt superheroes. And there was all sorts of superhero ratios. And then you're like, well, if we just then train for ratios, we're training towards a look, whether you're a guy or a girl, it's, it's super easy. And that's when we realized, Oh shit. Yeah. That is how you would train not to get bigger, necessarily heavier, not to get stronger, but to actually look better is just how do you train to alter the ratios of your body? And that's where Adonis and Venus came from, but it was just literally yeah. an argument at Tim Hortons. Yeah. And so that's a play Canada. Yep. And that's a play on the, on the word phi, because that's, uh, that's, that's, that's um, um, a way of, um, indicating the golden ratio. So we arrived again, I don't quite remember how, but we arrived at the golden ratio as applied to the body, uh, men and women. Right. And it is the, so what we've figured out is as you approach the golden ratio from your shoulder to your waist, that is likely going to be the most aesthetically sort of powerful and sort of pleasing look you can have for your body. Same thing with women, but it also adds in their, the ratio from their waist to their shoulders, to their hips. So it worked yeah. out pretty nicely and my best conditioning, I get to that number. So it's a one to 1.6 yeah. waist to shoulders. And along the way, you actually notice people noticing you when you Which start cool. getting, yeah. yeah. And it, and it happens when you get like past roughly one to 1.5 waist to shoulders, all of a sudden people just start acting different. Like they're noticing you people in the gym, like, Oh, Hey, you're really getting in shape. Whereas yeah. before that, everyone just sort of goes to the gym and does their thing. And people don't really change much in the gym. Ironically, people go to the gym, but if you're at the gym any, with any consistency, you can pick people out by their shape and size. Yep. And, and they're always that shape and size. You're like, Oh, that's the lean guy. Oh, that's the big guy. Oh, that's the whatever guy. But if you really actually start changing your proportions, people notice because they don't, it's odd or it's rare to see people's proportions like actually change. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, so that's part of the play on the name of the podcast too, Fi Life. It's the idea of this sort of sweet spot. Like it's not too big. It's not too small. It's not strength. It's not uh, muscle, muscle, muscle all the way. And it's not fat loss, fat loss, fat loss all the other way. It's zeroing in on a target and more importantly, a target that's for your body, like not anyone else's. So yeah, we like to say right sized, right? So yeah, right sized. One of the biggest mistakes, and Instagram's horrible for this, is that you see guy or girl, you see a physique you like, 
but without knowing that person's height and, and some of their ratios, you have no idea what that physique actually would be like standing beside you or even on your frame. So it really, the, the beauty of Adonis and Venus was that it was, everything was right sized to you. And you, you kind of accepted what makes like, what makes John look really good at 185, I would be 168, 170. Right. So, because I'm, I'm two inches shorter and I have a different frame. We're both fairly small boned. I think my, um, last time I checked, I think my wrist circumference is just on the edge of kind of medium, medium, small. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you can kind of look at other, uh, metrics, your elbow, et cetera, and realize that you're kind of smaller framed, but the, the benefit of training for a ratio and the idea of like that sweet spot. Yeah. Is that you find that sweet spot that's, that's specific for you and not just a general everyone kind of thing. Mm. So that that's the core of our training philosophy and all the programs and all the coaching we do from a, a fitness and aesthetic point of view, it's always zeroing in on your, your best proportions for your body. So right sizing yeah. for your body. So, so even two people at the same height, based on what Brad was saying, your initial starting material, as it were, like, are you, do you, are you a little bit thicker with your wrist, wrist, wrists and weights or not? And maybe your finished numbers at your best conditioning is slightly bigger. Yeah. You can tell a lot by head circumference, right? And sometimes that will dictate, you kind of get a feel of that's just a shorter, stockier, taller, leaner, and then you can build off of that. But no matter what, when you kind of hit your right size, it looks good on you. And and generally, the amount of training it takes to get to that right size, you will be strong for your size. And then it kind of becomes the fun game of it all is how efficiently can you do that? Because, you know, the obvious answer of just three to four hours in the gym every day is is obvious and great, but a lot of us have jobs. So it's how efficiently can we get people to that level? How much can we help them? So it's the least intrusive, right? And then with diet and exercise, how, how do we make it the most available to everyone? This is just always comes back to a objective, rational approach. Like why, why bother with any of this at all? And most people, if you keep asking them why, and you keep you know, do the why because thing and how many layers deep do you go? Yeah. It's never because oh, I want to get stronger. I want to do, I want to be able to compete. And stuff. it's always because I want to look better. Almost everybody yeah. eventually lands on, I want to look better. Yeah. It's either that or they're an athlete. That's your two choices. Right. And most people, yeah. when they get into their athletically best condition also end up looking look better. So yeah. it's the, I don't think it's a vanity thing or if it is, there's nothing wrong with vanity because you're going to feel better if you look better. Like it's kind of a little loop. It's the only body you got anyways. You might as well do what you can to get into a condition Enjoy that you're it. happy. Yeah, you're happy. Yeah. With. So yeah. to me, I was, I was anybody who strayed from that and ended up doing something else in the gym. I was like, I bet you any money they started this to look better, not, not to be a powerlifter or whatever else that they were doing. Um, not, not unless you have money on the other end of it. Like you're like, like you said, a, an athlete who actually can make money getting their body into a less aesthetically pleasing shape. Right. But yeah, if there's at least money on the other end of it, you might do that. But otherwise for you and me and everybody else, we're just trying to get in shape and just trying to look better. And the, and the thought that I only arrived at maybe a, a while later was does a help, does a aesthetic body in, in, in good proportions, um, also approximate health. 
is there a luck right. to health? Is the yes. idea of being quote unquote fit or you see somebody, oh, they, they look like they're in shape. Is that, is that a healthy body? Like now looking back, I'm sure everyone who saw me at 250 pounds, like there's this, that's not healthy. There's something no, no, we said something. that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. What it, no, great. Awesome. Right. Um, so, but right. It's like something, it's too much. It's yeah. just too much. Yeah. So now I, now I realize, oh, I was 60 pounds, 65 pounds away from what was, what was likely my more healthy shape. I didn't know yeah. that I was. And you also, you also get away with it with youth to some degree. Yeah. I would notice during contests that people who were able to diet down and maintain muscle could look relatively healthy up until about the last couple of weeks. And then you had the people who didn't mm -hmm. know what they're doing and they would come in fully dressed and you'd be like, Ooh, no, like, no, I can tell you're sickly right now. And it had to do with mm -hmm. the loss of, mm -hmm. of the loss of lean mass and the, the pallor, what do you call it? When the, the color of the skin, right? You would just sort of start to tell that you are unwell. And oh. so it does work in both directions, yeah. right? Like it's, and the, the thing is they were just mm -hmm. going for abs. So they were like, no, look, I, I'm healthy. And you're like, no. So it, yeah, yeah. definitely both there, directions. There's, yeah, there's, there's physical extremes that when you push to an aesthetic, um, not aesthetic, let's say a visual extreme look is likely not approximating anything to do with actual health. The, on Instagram, or any photo, you can fake your way through that with the tan, with the lighting, and the look. Like kind of like what we talked about, we talk mm -hmm. about this all the time, is you can kind of look healthy, and then when you meet that person in person, then you really kind of feel like, oh, wait, no, that's not, you don't actually look healthy, right? So you can, pictures don't, right. don't really tell you the true story, you gotta kind of be around the person. Right. And so as far as this podcast goes and getting back to kind of why we've launched it now, um, we can get into the, I guess it's an inflection point where my coaching, like coaching people and working with people through getting them into quote unquote shape has evolved into also an eye on their overall health. And that's right. kind of because of my own personal journey, this uh, we're launching this on the first, uh, the first one year anniversary of me being cancer free. So like, yay yeah, for me, um, a year, a year ago, I had lung cancer. Um, I got a little story on how I found it and it, it, it was, I have a business coach and a mentor, a uh, shout out to your own Brooke. And he was here in San Diego and we were just having lunch and, you know, we were just talking about business and just life goals and things. And I'm like, oh, why, what are you in San Diego for anyways? Cause he doesn't live here. And he's like, oh, I go, I go to this, um, private concierge health clinic and they do, um, a yearly assessment. You do like your genetics, a whole battery of blood work, um, MRIs of your brain, your whole body, CT scans, echoes, um, every, just the, the whole, the works. And I was, this is all new to me. I didn't know these things even existed. Um, right. and so he mentioned it. He's like, oh, if you're interested, you know, like I can refer you and they can, you know, they'll give you a better rate and it's not cheap, but they'll give you a better rate if you're referred in. So I, I thought about it. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and he's older than me. And maybe I don't know if my opinion was like, well, that's for him. Like he's older. I'm younger. Like I'm in my forties. Right. I yeah. don't need that. Um, but it, so I, I sat on it. I knew it didn't do anything about it. Um, and, um, you know, I always listen to different podcasts, read different books. I'm always trying to educate myself on all of this stuff. Um, whether it be stay diet and fitness date. for the sake of aesthetics. Yeah, stay up to date. 
Um, so I follow a couple people. Um, Peter T is one of them. I shout out to Peter T and his podcast, The Drive. It's fantastic. And he's talking a lot about longevity and this idea of medicine 3.0, where you don't wait around for a symptom to tell you to go do something. You just go check yourself out um, in the absence of symptoms, but based on the stage of life you're at. And right. that's because the data is pretty good that the number one killers are, again, going a little bit down a hole here, but um, heart disease and cancer are two sort of, they're two conditions that don't tell you they're there until it's too late, or at least right. don't usually tell you until it's too late. So for example, um, one of your first symptoms of heart disease is a heart attack. So you don't know, <laughs> but that started decades ago, yeah. right? And one of your um, in many cases, when you actually have a symptom that leads to a diagnosis of cancer, it can be stage three or stage four because it's been there for so long because it is a right. slow, in many cases, it's a very slow growing disease. And by the time your body lets you know it's there, it kind of lets you know a decade too late. So, right. um, so consuming that type of information, I was like, wait, this kind of is making sense. And I guess this is why Yaron was going to this this clinic, he's trying to get ahead of things. He doesn't want his body to tell him, oh, by the way, you've, you've been developing plaque in your arteries for the last 20 years. And here's your, here's your clue now that you have yeah. had a cardiac event. So uh, all of this sort of coalesced for me. I'm like, okay, this is all making sense. Maybe I should, maybe I should go. And it wasn't yeah. cheap, but I'm like, all right, I'm going to go get myself checked out. If I'm clear, I'm in good shape. You know, I'm, I was 47 at the time, I think. So I go, I get checked out. We find uh, a nodule in my lower left lobe turns out it's cancer stage one we get it all out which is great so i'm cancer free um but that thing if i didn't didn't follow up how much longer would that have gone until it told me it was there yeah like i and don't you smoke never, like, i don't the, drink i don't do any of that stuff yeah that's why the lung cancer is so weird right like it's not like you used to smoke and stopped or it's not like you used to dr drink heavily and stop like you barely rarely ever never. ever drink and you've never smoked. So mm -hmm. that was a weird one, right? Like it was, and you generally, with the exception of a, a few times in university and afterwards have not been overweight and you've generally been healthy. So it, yeah, it was just a bit of a slap in the face there. Yeah, it was shocking. So, and no one thinks about that. No one thinks, do I no. have a tumor in me right now? Like it didn't occur to yeah, me. No. It didn't really occur to me at all. Um, but again, like listening to Peter Atia's podcast kind of, got me thinking maybe I should go there. And then on top of that, I found out I have um, high LP little a, I'm not going to get right into it, but it's a specific kind of cholesterol that has nothing to do with your diet and lifestyle. You can't affect it with your diet or your lifestyle. It's genetic. And if it's really, really high, it's a problem for cardiovascular disease. And mine's really, really high. Uh, my, I, now I'm seeing a cardiologist for it. So I'm taking action on it. Again, it's right. not anything I could feel. It's not anything I can diet or exercise my way out of. I, you just don't know what's there until you test it. And right. in North America, the medical systems don't normally test it. So your normal they cholesterol- They don't want you to test it, right? You know, like, my understanding yeah. is they're generally opposed to this idea of testing for things without a reason to test for it. Even though you're paying for it for your, yourself, I just generally know that they don't like the idea of it, which is which is odd, and I'd love to get their opinion on why, but that's the experience I've had. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can get into that in another episode. I've, so some of the physicians I work with now have, they've given me some insights into that. But one of the answers, at least for this particular uh, condition is, well, there's not much you can do about it anyway. So why test it? Which I think is a ridiculous answer. Um, at minimum, yeah. you would want to minimize all your other risk factors if you know you have one that you can't do much about. Right. Like you would, you would raise the stakes on all the other ones to try to minimize what you can minimize versus, well, I can't do anything about that one. So whatever. Um, right. So, and this is the concept of medicine 3.0 versus medicine 2.0. Again, I learned that from Peter Atier. I don't know if that's his or his concept or if that's someone else's, but the idea is you got to have the hands on the wheel of your own health. You got to take this into, you got to steer this. You got to be the captain of the ship and right. use the medical system as a tool for yourself and not wait around for them to tell you when it's time to do something. Right. And so it's got its, it's got its merits and it's got its flaws. And in now I'm obviously very biased because this worked really well for me. I found a cancer and I got rid of it. And, and now I found out I have a, I'm predisposed to, a very serious risk factor for cardiovascular disease that now I am actively working on. Two years ago, I wouldn't have thought I would have had a cardiologist at 49. Now right. I have a cardiologist. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, exactly. And he's a specialist in this, ex- and he's a specialist in this exact condition, which I went yeah. out of my way to find. So uh, this is just why, but I wouldn't have known either of these things. So if I just didn't take the initiative right now, I'd be sitting here with a tumor yeah. growing in my lung and a genetic condition, a genetic cholesterol condition that's just leading me to a higher and higher and higher risk of cardiovascular disease. Instead, right. no tumor, and I'm dealing with the other one. So, yeah. not that I'm not saying everyone has to spend the money I spent, but an eye to the to your own longevity is probably worth it at some point in your life. Maybe I'm sure if if you're 20 years old and you're listening to this, you're like, ah, whatever. But Probably at some point, it's you got to kind of start thinking it. Let's say you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do any of what I'm saying. If my example's resonating with you, I would suggest it's it's useful to start thinking in those terms at some point in your life. Like, how is my lifestyle now going to affect me a decade from now? Yeah. And the other subtle note on this, it's something I come up with is the idea that you can look and feel healthy isn't necessarily telling you about your long-term health. Because I didn't feel anything. Yeah, so I was going to touch on that. Yeah, because the, you know, it's confusing that we just said there is a shape to health and you'd be like, I'm in great shape and I had cancer. But there's a shape to health that decreases your risk, doesn't make it zero. And along the same lines, we don't know if, if you had spent the last two decades 50 pounds overweight, if you'd even still be here, right? We don't know if the cancer would have grown, the cancer, the tumor would have grown quicker, et cetera. So I still think there's a shape to health. And I still think that being in shape helps and minimizes risk, but it doesn't make it zero, which is why you should still look into it. And like the way you were talking about, you know, you don't have to do it. And if you're 20, maybe you're not thinking about it. That's kind of along the same lines as, yeah, most 20 year olds don't think about, you know, putting money away and investing for retirement, but it's a perfect time to do it. And just because you do put money away for retirement at 20 doesn't mean you won't run out of money, right? Like it's, it's just hedging your bets and trying to make the situation better. But there is no mm-hmm. time like the present to actually start looking into your future and your longevity. And decreasing risk is better than just blindly ignoring it. Exactly. And, and again, I know my 20-year-old self wouldn't have cared about, uh, 
clearly I was using steroids. Yeah. My 20 year old yeah. self was not thinking about longevity at all. Whether or not that's had um, long-term impacts, I can never know because I can't go back nope. and relive my life without them. So you this is just twin. where I'm at yeah. now. With Without a medical intervention, without scanning or some sort of diagnostics or a bad feeling, uh, a shape is the best thing you've got to go with, right? And we just know that yeah. the muscle mass tends to be healthy and a lower body fat. You don't need the six pack abs, but a lower body fat tends to be healthy. And then the movement mm. and eating that it takes to maintain that look tend to be healthy. So now you almost have the process and the result working independently it's, and together to help improve your health, right? Because you, you do have to put in the work and you do have to put in the eating to maintain a look that in and of itself could be healthy. Right. So to try to capture it in one sentence, it's um, the look and shape of your body can tell you something about your overall health, but not everything about your overall right. health. Yeah. And in and in, I'm an example of that where I was in pretty good shape. I didn't drink, didn't smoke, worked out all the time, paid attention to my diet. And yet I had two major things going on that there's no symptom. You can't feel them. You can't touch them. You can't see them, yet they're there. And right. that's when you need to, or that's when I, I guess, luckily, somehow I had I just somewhere along the line, it felt like I had to do this. I intervened and examined what could not be felt and what could not be seen, yet found out the two biggest risks to my overall health long-term. I found both of them. So, yeah. and I can't feel it. I can't see it in the mirror. Can't nothing. There was no, it was, wasn't obvious at all. So yeah, that's, it's just a, this is the takeaway message that you can only see so much and you can only feel so much. Cause I know there's always a narrative of, oh, you listen to your body. Like you can listen to it. Is this going to tell you if you're healthy? Really? My body didn't tell me I had a goddamn cancerous right. module in my lung. Didn't tell me that at all. Yeah. So, and it wasn't going to tell me that until it was too goddamn late. So yeah. There's only so much that you can listen and see just so far. And then at some point, and these tools are there. The system can, there are ways to find this stuff out. Um, but this is the difference between the concept of medicine 2.0 and 3.0. 2.0, you wait around until the symptom shows up. And I uh, lost an uncle that way. Uh, first, he found out he had cancer. It was already stage four. First symptom, it was already stage four. Right. And um, another thing that was jarring um, I don't know if you ever do this. Do you ever just look up people you you haven't like from high school? Just people you haven't talked to in long, yeah. long, long time. Just look them up yeah, online. Them on Facebook. What are they doing? Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't do that. I, I just Google searched a buddy's name from high school. Just hadn't seen him in a long so time. Old. I just Google searched him because you just don't <laughs> yeah. know. You know, yeah. Anyways, old people I just Google searched this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I and uh, his obituary came up. The first thing I was like, what the wow. what the hell? And he. He, he had died of cancer at 47 and I was 47 at the time. Wow. Yeah. We were yeah. same age. So, and then I just thought, wait, this can't be right. So I kind of looked around and was like, yeah, no, it, it's him. It's not like it's another guy with the same name. It was him. It's the pictures and everything. And it just, it just hit me like, wait a minute. So like the last time I hung out with this guy and had a beer, we were in our mid to late twenties. And neither of us knew his life was already half over. And I was, yeah. that totally like jarred me. I'm like, that, that doesn't sound right. And I'm sure if you're listening and you know, someone who's passed, like what I would say way too early, you 
like it's it's I'm not the only person who knows somebody like this and many of us that's happened but it never it never seems right when any of that no. happens cuz we always at least I naively always thought oh we're all going to go 80 whatever the life expectancy is of your country we're all going to go yeah. past that like, yeah, that's you like think what's for happening some reason now that's when a minimum I get there. yeah yeah oh yeah that's the right. minimum like if it's 80 yeah. i'm going 90 plus like yeah, that's it, that's yeah. like that sucks. That's what people are doing now. I'm getting past that. And right. to find out that somebody I know that, and I, I know other people who've unfortunately passed early, but it just didn't, it didn't compute to me that someone I played football with that kind of lived my kind of life. Maybe that's why it bugged me more because he worked out with us. He did all the same things and yet it got him. And yeah. it, it was just like, oh, geez, this, that's, that's way too soon. That's, that rattled all of my thoughts of, what to expect and what's normal. So if you want to know why the podcast now, it's after spending decades helping people with their health and fitness and just by health and fitness really mean build muscle, lose fat. Um, it's now taking that information and applying it to a more whole life approach where it's, we still want you to build muscle and lose fat. And then we want you to maintain that as efficiently and effectively as possible for the rest of your life, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, what can we do to make it so that you can get in shape quicker and then maintain it with less effort and then take that and then start moving towards a, what steps do you take in your life to make sure it's good, just healthy. And then good as in you get to do the things you want to do and that when you wake up and you look in the mirror, you you like what you see. And so that's sort of the phi life or philosophy of life that we're and see how we dovetail that together. We're, where to go with this, right? It's mm -hmm. no longer just um, getting into shape. It's getting in shape for a specific reason and then making that fit into the rest of your life. So the word phi and phi life is a play on a philosophy of life as seen through diet, fitness, and now health right. is the evolution of, of the, the path into it. And then the concept of the golden ratio, which was the idea of a a balance and a sweet spot that's right size for you. So right. any one specific path is is going to be generally towards what's going to be healthy for you, make you look look and feel a way that you're happy with, but also with an eye towards your long-term health. And so right. that's what the, this whole podcast is for. And all the future episodes, all the different things we're going to be sharing are going to be all of our experiences, not only with ourselves, but with clients we're currently coaching, people we've coached in the past, and all of the experiences we've had with all of these people and kind of distilling it into something that's that's actionable, either you can yes. apply directly or it helps you think clearly about what is a good step for you to take. Yeah, I, we find that most of sort of health and fitness right now is definitely majoring in the minor, right? So you'll get caught up in fights over seed oils or things like that and, and miss some of the much larger things you can do to improve your health. So we're we're gonna really point out we think are major, what we think are minor. And on the minor stuff, some of it can be really fun. So we're, it's not like we're not gonna discuss it because I, I love that stuff, but we are going to sometimes point out when I take you really far down a rabbit hole, whether or not it was as important and then just take the couple big actionable steps and move on. But we're going to focus on the major, we're going to talk about the minor and then keep it so everything is always applicable. Because any philosophy has to make your life better. It can't just be 
thought experiments. It has to be something that your day-to-day life gets better from, and that's the goal. So that's the end of our first episode of the Phi Live podcast, and we look forward to talking to you guys again. So for Brad Pilon, I'm John Barbin, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>